What's up, guys, and welcome to the We Believe Golden State Warriors Basketball Podcast, a Sports Ethos presentation. I'm your host, Sam Orlick. Today, we've got a really special episode for you listeners out there. We're going to be doing a recap of the draft and free agency, um, as well as a deep dive into Summer League, and most importantly, the James Wiseman debut. Uh, I got special guest Asa Wynn Grant coming in. We're going to be going through the Warriors offseason moves, talking in more detail thoughts around the Kevin Durant trade rumors and how that may or may not fit with what the Warriors are doing. We talk about salary cap implications for this team, um, going a little bit deeper into comments made by Bob Myers and Joe Lacob heading into the offseason and then seeing the decisions that were made by the franchise um, as free agency opened. Obviously, the departures of Otto Porter Jr. and Gary Payton II still hurting Warriors fans all around. So, really want to get into this episode. A lot of content to unpack. I know you guys are going to really like it. So, let's get right into it. Hey, Asa. Yo. What's going on, man? How's it going? Doing pretty good. Welcome yeah. to the show. Thank you. So, so we got to get some ground rules. Is this, is, is there cursing on this? Um, you know, is this a family situation? What do we got? Yeah, you know, try to avoid the F-bombs. Um, yeah. But, you know, whatever. I like to just kind of get into the flow of the conversation and see where it takes us. Okay. A free-flowing conversation that may occasionally touch on mature subjects. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Great. <laughs> so, Warriors, man. A lot of, uh, lot of off-season changes. We're kind of at the tail end of summer league. I want to talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but maybe before we talk about summer league, I want to get your thoughts on the changes in the roster for the Warriors as it stands now. Um, losing some free agents, Otto Porter Jr. and GP2, signing Dante DiVincenzo, three new draft picks remains to be seen. Um, who exactly will be signed onto the 15-man roster and who might just be playing for Santa Cruz or, or playing overseas. Um, so let's start there. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like there was a major disconnect between what was messaged by Warriors management coming into the offseason and then what ended up happening. And I've been trying to kind of, figure out what's really going on there right um because before you know after the championship and before the the offseason really got into full swing um there was a lot of messaging from the management about you know we're yeah it's not about money right if we don't keep this roster together it's not about money and then gp2 goes to portland right um on what is perceived as, you know, appropriate value, maybe a little bit of an overpay by Portland. Um, Kevon Looney comes back, right? Uh, but on on what seems to be a, a 
a discount, right? Uh, if you compare his contract to other sort of similar, you know, starting caliber centers on, on playoff teams. Um, Otto Porter goes to Toronto. I think, uh, I think everybody sort of assumed he was, he was priced out. That's, that's why he signed for such a, uh, a low cost deal for the, you know, with the Warriors last season, last off season. And then you've got the Dante DiVincenzo signing, which, which is sort of a, a you know, maybe a GP2 replacement. Um, you know, they, they used those draft picks that, that people thought maybe they were going to trade. Um, and to me, you know, like trying to, trying to do a deep dive into, into what all this means to me, this is, this is messaging from the, Warriors management to Steve Kerr, right? Uh, and 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 obviously we have to see how you know who they fill the roster out with in terms of you know minimum signings. But this yeah, because we've only past, got we've only got eleven guys on the roster right now. Right, right, right. So, but but over the course of the postseason, this vision, right? This Joe Lake of vision of all right, we have simultaneously the you know the superstars the aging superstars Steph Clay Dre you know Draymond Green um we've got Jordan Poole who's you know the the next generation and then we've got Kuminga and we've got Moody who are who are just waiting in the wings ready to to step up and over the course of the playoffs you saw Kerr you know go to that sort of default mode of his which is i'm going to play the veterans right uh i'm gonna you know he in in the finals went uh was it to um bielitsa right went to iguodala right didn't play any any of the rookies for for meaningful minutes even in in situations where uh it seemed like the the obvious way to go and now i think management is maybe removing that sort of safety net for for steve kerr and you know he doesn't have another option he's got to go to kuminga in 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 those minutes at least in the regular season um he's got to go to moody and see what's there you know wiseman if if he's healthy um so so that's that's what that was my takeaway uh we can talk you know in more depth about divincenzo i have as a king's fan I've, i've i've watched a little bit more of him um than than some of the other guys uh but but yeah to me you know this was a message from the the ownership that it's time for the young guys to to really get some minutes yeah i like that i think i think that's pretty accurate i mean we had bob myers um making official statements saying stuff like guys should get paid what they're owed we want to bring everyone back steve kerr kind of echoing the same um, you know, uh, Myers making it sound or seem like Lakeup was okay spending into the 300, 400 million plus. Um, you know, and, and I think the one that really stings is GP2 because they did offer him the mid level exception. So they were, they were gonna, they offered him, you know, like six, six million change for a two year deal, 
but you know, the guy's 31, he got a three year, $29 million offer from Portland and he took it. He wanted to get paid rightfully. So, I mean, how many years has he been in the league bouncing around finally gets his deal. Um, and the warriors just couldn't do that. They couldn't do a three-year deal, um, for a guy who's going to be turning 34, but I do agree with you regarding really clearing way to play all these young players. Um, I thought that Moody had some meaningful opportunities throughout the postseason, but yes, Moody and Kaminga, neither of them saw the floor during the finals, uh, which I was fine with. I thought Kaminga, when he was given opportunity, struggled, which was kind of to be expected because teams had the scouting report on him, so he wasn't able to really just bulldoze his way to the rim like he kind of did throughout throughout the regular season. Uh, but com- but uh, Moody had some really good spot minutes against Dallas um, in that series. So, yeah, I think I think you do need to open up and clear way for these guys to play because you need to develop them and see what you've got there, or else, what are you doing with all of these young, you know, these young players? These two these two lottery picks, or three lottery picks, I guess. Wiseman, Wiseman, Moody, and Kaminga. You got to get these guys opportunities. So. I agree that kind of makes sense as far as not being fully committed, like willing to bring back GP2 if he was willing to take, you know, take a fair contract, but not willing to overpay. Kavon Looney, definitely, he wanted to stay, and and he was the most important of those three. If Kavon Looney walks, I think Warriors are in a lot of trouble without really knowing what they have in, in James Wiseman yet. And you're right, he took a substantial pay cut. I mean, Zubats, I think, signed like a 33... 33 million uh, three-year deal. So it's like 11 million a year. So that's like almost twice, um, about twice what what Looney accepted for his contract. So yeah, yeah looking at this roster. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that was one of the more interesting pieces to me was that Looney's deal is so relatively cheap, you know, uh, relative to the market. And it's it's still a question, right? We still don't really know how much this ownership group is willing to pay, right? The the you know the GP two contract, I can see the the argument for letting him go, especially at that number, especially for those number of years, right? Because because I, I mean to me, it's it's about Moody more so than Dante DiVincenzo, right? Okay. Yep. I, in terms of replacing that skill set um but for kevon looney right i i there was no replacement really you know uh james wiseman is a different kind of player than what kevon looney provides even even if he fulfills you know his his sky high kind of potential um on both ends of the floor and so it would have been really interesting if, if looney had asked for a bunch or demanded a bunch more money to see whether or not this ownership group would have, would have shelled out. It seems like they, you know, they've, they've shelled out a lot of money so far. Um, and, and I guess now the question is shifted to, all right, for the, for the pool extension, for the Wiggins extension, are they, are they going to go really, really deep into that, into that luxury tax? Yeah. And I think another point on Looney is he's been paid. He just came off of a three, uh, another kind of, good deal three-year 15 mil contract so he's been paid whereas compared to gp2 who's just been playing on 10 days 
for various teams or getting paid the minimum. So this was really GP2's first payday. So you can yeah. kind of understand why you cashed in. Whereas for Looney, it's like, yeah, sure. Could he could he have asked for closer to 10 a year? Yeah. Would another team have maybe given him 10? I don't know. Because as good as Kevon Looney is, he is an undersized big who does more fit exactly the Steve Kerr system. And I don't know if you necessarily put him on any other team as a starting center that he fulfills the same role if the team doesn't play defense like that. Um, and so I think it was a little bit easier for him to accept less money. And he personally was way more invested in staying with Golden State that you know given that he was drafted there all all those years that he's been injured and 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 whatnot um but yeah i think what's gonna happen with pool and wiggins is is a really good question you know to me pools like the first the first um legit scoring guard off the bench we've had since leandro barbosa who's got you know steph curry light written all over him at least early in his in his career. So I think for me, Poole's a no-brainer. You got to give him that extension, you know, whatever, whatever it ends up being four mil, you know, four year hundred mil or four year eighty. Do you mil. think do you think he's he's up over that 20 mil per year kind of number? Yeah, I think he's 20 to 25 a year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just what the the leap that he's made in the little amount of time and the work ethic that he's put in. Um, and his ability to step up in the playoffs, his ability to struggle and then bounce back and find different ways to contribute, whether it's starting, coming off the bench, um, whatever it takes. I think he's he's too good and too important for this team. Because otherwise, then you're you're back in the position where Steph Curry's not on the floor. Who's going to score? Because we haven't really seen Clay Thompson yet be able to get back to that place where he can just take over games single handedly. Um, and it doesn't really matter who's on the floor around him. Yeah, yeah. I I tend to agree with you uh, with respect to pool. It's as a non Warriors fan, um, he kind of came out of nowhere for me, right? Where uh, he was what in the G League, and then the next season, he's he's a sort of a centerpiece of uh, of their offense and. Well, Poole's, Poole's first year was when Curry broke his hand and they, tra- okay. and they traded Durant and Thompson was hurt and Green was hurt. So so Poole got to be the starting two guard on a really bad Warriors team and the, and he, the game was just way too fast for him. So he really struggled. Um, then the next year, he went to the G League and towards the springtime, he started going off in the G League. Um, and he came back and he was kind of going back and forth warriors and Santa Cruz in late season in year two in NBA games, he started like he'd, he'd check in the game off the bench and score 10 points in eight minutes. Um, so he's, you could see the growth and, and he started to build some confidence. Um, and then coming into year three, this, this season passed, I really had high expectations for him as like six man of the year, because you could see how he had really, changed and worked on his game the floater the three-pointer he'd always been an excellent free throw shooter um and so for me i kind of saw that in the making for that big jump that he made for how bad he was in year one um and how much more confident and comfortable he looked at the at the end of year two yeah he's he's another guy similar to looney um 
who I think really, really thrives in that war in that Steve Kerr warrior system, just because of how quickly he's getting into his actions once he catches the ball. I mean, that's useful, I think, in a lot of different offenses, but it's irreplaceable in in that Warriors offense where you see you can you can see the ways that he has learned from Steph and from Clay in terms of if he doesn't have anything right then getting off the ball and then relocating right so that there's there's constantly the chance for him to have an advantage um so so yeah I I I think he's phenomenal um I he gets downhill faster than anyone else on the team so I think that has a unique skill set yeah Yeah. nobody else on the team really just goes straight to the rim and sure as we saw in the Boston series against more athletic rim protecting guards or bigs like Derek White or uh, Robert Williams he gets sent away a lot but he'll work on that and improve that Um, but against slower teams like Denver I mean he just cooked them for like 30 points a game in his first three games against that Denver team yeah yeah, he, I, I, I was having a, a debate with a different Warriors fan about who has more value right now, Jordan Poole or, or Tyler Hero, and I was on the I was on the Jordan Poole side, um, but but yeah, he's he's fantastic. I think I, I, I agree with you. These, you have to extend them and and let the market sort of dictate the value. But you know, if it's if it's in that twenty million dollar range, there's especially with the salary cap, you know, with the, uh, um, with the new TV deal coming down the line, that could be a really uh, value contract. All right. Let's talk about the controversy here. The elephant in the room. Yeah. It was by the name of Andrew Wiggins. Yes. So we got the Andrew Wiggins extension coming up. I personally believe that Andrew Wiggins was the second best player on the Warriors team. Um, throughout the playoffs and postseason, especially the finals. I think that, you know, Andrew Wiggins is probably worth an additional max extension, but if he'd be willing to take a little bit of a pay cut, given that he just is coming off of a max deal, I think that would be nice. But he has proven kind of in the sense of what Clay Thompson had done or or proved himself to be that elite two-way player pre-injury I think Wiggins is is close for sure um as being one of those guys maybe I'd put him in top 10 um maybe top 15 in the league at being a two-way defender guarding positions one through three um just incredible and then at the same time doesn't need his doesn't need the ball in his hands can do a little bit of everything rebound get assists knock down the three the free throw shooting is suspect, but given the growth that we saw in his all-around game this past season, I'd hope to expect that if giving him that longer extension, you're also investing in him continuing to work on his game, and he really needs to get that free throw percentage up to like 75%. Um, but I think that Andrew Wiggins is one of the most important pieces for the Warriors because who else is going to guard Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, John Morant? Um Damian Lillard, like right now, it's it's Wiggins. Uh, even more so that that GP two's left. Clay Thompson isn't isn't there yet. So maybe he get back to that get gets back to that place where he was pre injury. But right now, it's Wiggins being the best um, wing and guard defender on the team. Yeah, 
So with respect to Wiggins's value, it's really it's really tied into this most recent playoff run. Right? I I I I looked into, you know, I'm coming into this conversation with a significant amount of Andrew Wiggins baggage. Um, just having <laughs> okay. right just, just because you know he's the number one overall pick he got traded for Kevin Love and then just disappointed for so many years in Minnesota um you know then you've got the D'Angelo Russell trade he comes to the Warriors and immediately sort of walks into what everyone kind of agrees is the perfect situation for Andrew Wiggins but it wasn't an overnight kind of transformation, right? Like in, yeah, in totally. this, yeah, this past regular season, Andrew Wiggins was a worse rebounder than Steph Curry, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're talking about like a few months ago. And then he had this run where he did all of the things that everybody's wanted him to do his whole career. Right. He was not only giving second and third efforts uh, on the glass, he was, you know, I hesitate to say locked down, but he was he was a, a, a plus plus point of attack defender. He was great full court defender, of, too. At yeah. that, right. You had the the Memphis series where he asked Mike Brown, hey, can I pick up can I pick up full court? Like, yeah. If you got right. the, if you got the legs for that, go ahead. Like, I'm not going to say no. And, and, you know, he has the physical tools to do all that. Uh, what really clicked for me was that he, was, he became incredibly mentally engaged on the defensive side of the ball to a, to a level that I had not seen from him before. And, and, you know, granted, I'm not watching every Andrew Wiggins possession during every season, but I, I, I think it was game, uh, game five versus the Celtics. Uh, high leverage situations in the fourth quarter. Um, and uh, the, the, the Warriors are in rotation, right? Uh, the ball pings to Derek White, who's just above the break outside the arc. Uh, and then you've got Al Horford in the strong side corner behind the arc. And Wiggins is on Al Horford. And, and, and the decision is for Wiggins, does he come off of Horford and run Derek White off the arc, right? And he does this sort of like cat and mouse thing where he's he's in between, but clearly not committing to Derek White. Derek White hesitates for a second and then bricks the three. And it was that possession where like I saw that and I was like, this is not the Andrew Wiggins that I know, right? This is this was him taking a defensive possession where the Warriors are in rotation, right? They they're at a disadvantage and turning that into an advantage just using the power of his decision making and and then also obviously his uh, his athletic gifts and then you know and then he you know he crashed the boards as well and so so yeah he he was at a different level this past playoff run and so to me it becomes almost a a philosophical question right who is if you're trying to project Andrew Wiggins going forward is he the guy that he was up until a couple months ago, 
or is he the guy that he was for the past three months? Right. Because those are two different guys. One of those guys is, you know, no brainer max extension. Right. The other guy, I'm not so sure. That's Um, fair. I mean, you had, you had all star, you had all star starter Wiggins the first half of the season who was just gangbusters doing a little bit of everything, not the elite rebounding, as you pointed out, but at least offensively um, shooting the three ball, like a plus 40% um, and playing well defensively. But then after the all-star break, he did kind of tail off. You know, I talked to some other people about it. They kind of felt like it was, it was fatigue because Wiggins, I think only missed one game the whole season. So just playing a lot. Um, you know, it could be mental fatigue, physical fatigue, whatever, but you did see his play um, decline in the second half of the, of the regular season, no doubt. But I think when you talk about wanting to win rings and wanting to continue this championship run and you've got these older veterans, if you don't keep Wiggins, who, you know, who's it going to be? Because you need the elite wing defenders to win. And especially Steve Kerr with the way Steve Kerr plays, like Wiggins played more minutes than anybody else um, throughout the playoffs, especially in the finals. And so, um, yeah, it is a question of like which version of the Wiggins is going to show up, I guess, or, or which version of Wiggins is, is here to stay. But even if you repeated the same thing into 22-23 season as you did 21-22, which is you get two versions of Wiggins in the regular season, but then you get this incredible, you know, almost finals MVP-worthy version of Wiggins for the playoffs, to me that's still worth max, uh, max money. Because you want the guy who's going to show up for the big moments – and if he's going to be, if he's going to show up for every game during the regular season, but, you know, maybe his game's a little inconsistent, but you have Steph Clay and Draymond and a bunch of young players behind him, I don't think you can let that go. Unless you really think that Wiseman's going to make this leap where now all of a sudden Wiseman's going to be this elite wing defender, uh, which we just haven't seen yet. He has all the tools, but I mean, the kid's still 19 years old. I, I think we're a few years away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so if the question is, do you pay Wiggins versus letting him walk? You pay. He's only twenty-seven, right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. You you still got a lot of a lot of years. He's just entering his prime. Um, but that is obviously so much money to throw at Pool and Wiggins and keep everyone else. Yeah. the The payroll gets high, but I don't think the pool and Wiggins pieces, even if, you know, you pay Wiggins a, a max extension and he ends up being sort of inconsistent in the same ways he's been inconsistent, right? Maybe, you know, he shows up sometimes and, and he's elite and other times he's just okay. Um, the, you know, it's an overpay, but not an egregious one. I think the more concerning contract at that point becomes Clay Thompson, yeah. um, who, if he doesn't return to his pre-injury uh, offensive and defensive impact, it's not that he's not a really good player. He's just overpaid by, you know, maybe $20 million a season. Right. Right. Cause Clay's getting North of 40 a year. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me, let's get back to this um, point though on Wiggins that I think 
kind of filters into our other discussion we were having out of the show about uh, Kevin Durant. Yeah. Um, so, because we already know that that there's, you know, Lacob, Lacob's got his thing. He is a very involved owner. It's not like other owners. He clearly has something he wants to do with this team. Um, you have, you know, I would be surprised if the Warriors continue this this run, deep playoff postseason run, finals appearances, you'd have to think that they that they would want to retain Wiggins. But let's say that in some reality, Lacob is so hellbent on clearing clearing a roadway for Moody, Kaminga, Wiseman, and then you know you've got Patrick Baldwin Jr., who they just drafted, who also plays plays a forward spot, um, more of a four than like a three, but maybe there's some reality where Laka doesn't plan to re-sign Wiggins and just lets him and, and is just thinking about letting him walk at which point then you don't want him to walk. So maybe you would look to trade him if that's your plan is to not offer him an extension or uh, um, give him the extension and then look to trade him after that. Well, yeah, this has been the, the real, I, I hesitate to say genius, but, but, the really impactful moves that the Warriors have made during this stretch have been based on keeping that max slot that, that they opened up to sign Kevin Durant. Um, and even when Durant walked, turning that into a sign and trade and, and then using that D'Angelo Russell contract to get Wiggins. And so maintaining that fourth, essentially fourth max salary slot, um, you know, which has sent them way over into the luxury tax, keeping a good player in that slot is, you know, they, they need to keep doing that if they're going to, if they're going to pry open the, the largest possible window, even with the young guys, right? Um, because if, if they let that go, it's never, it's not coming back until, you know, Curry and, and Clay are off the books. So if we're talking about, you know, trade options for the Wiggins contract the most obvious one is the one that we uh were, were discussing you know off of the podcast which is you know right now Kevin Durant has demanded a trade from the Brooklyn Nets um and there's no indication that KD wants to come back to Golden State there's the sort of rumor mill you know some you know everybody says the the folks in Golden State haven't shut it down, um, but I'm sure that's true on, you know, for every one of the other, you know, 29 teams as well, right? No one's shutting down getting Kevin Durant on their team. Um, and it's also just like positive PR. If any of the top 10 players in the league were reportedly on the trade block, you know, any team is going gonna, is gonna to be entertaining offers, even if that asking price is way too steep. Teams aren't going to say, no, we're not interested in Kevin Durant, or we're not interested in Luka Doncic, or we're not interested in Paul George if he's right. available. Right. So, so all of this with a grain of salt, the only team that there are the only teams that we know Kevin Durant um, is interested in going to, I believe, are the Heat and the Suns. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to think he wouldn't be interested in going back to Golden State, given the way uh, that he expressed sort of, you know, uh, some regrets about how that run ended 
Um, and it is probably unlikely he goes back to the Suns now after the eight and extension, unless right. they put Booker in there. And then for the, if you're the Suns, that's just a little bit confusing. Yeah, the Suns have really complicated that the trade possibilities for Durant, you know, especially before uh, Aiton is able to be traded in January and, and, and even after that, right? Um, but just just for the sake of argument, right, we can we can sort of talk about would it make sense for Golden State to to trade, you know, in an Andrew Wiggins centered package and for Kevin Durant and we can put you know the caveat that Andrew Wiggins and Ben Simmons can't end up on the on the nets uh, simultaneously because of the um, you know arcane kind of rule preventing two two guys on uh, I believe it's designated rookie extensions um, being both acquired by trade so putting all of that aside Right. Which is, you know, so take all of this with a huge grain of salt. You know, there's the question of does it make sense for the Warriors to trade in an Andrew Wiggins centered package for Kevin Durant? Um, and, you know, to me, it's just a night. It's got to be the answer has to be yes. I don't see. I don't see a basketball reason why Kevin Durant even just reprising his role from you know the the earlier three-year run isn't a massive improvement um offensively and and not enough of a downgrade to to really you know have, be a net negative um if he were to to fall into that forward slot yeah and i think if the options are letting wiggins walk for nothing or packaging him for a trade and getting Durant, I think you obviously want to get something back for that max slot, as we just discussed. Um, I think, you know, whatever Brooklyn was asking for with all those, those first round picks or potential or past, you know, past first round picks the Warriors have made um, that, that could potentially really gut the team if they're looking for something like, Wiggins, Wiseman, Kaminga, Moody, or future, you know, some combination of those players or future picks for a team that only has 11 players on the roster. Um, and you're going to lose a lot of that, a lot of those young players that you were clearing opportunity for. And then also at the same time, you just traded away or you just let your veterans walk, JTA and Damian Lee. So who are you going to fill out the rest of your roster with then at that point? Um, and then also you're missing Andre Iguodala, who I think was really important with Kevin Durant, um, who kind of played that st- wing stopper role. And I think Iggy's kind of well past that, that part of his career. So, yeah, I think, you know, Durant, obviously better, much better offensive player than Andrew Wiggins, at least as of now and what we've seen looking at Wiggins career versus Durant. The problem that I have with Kevin Durant is he totally just craps on Steve Kerr's offense because when Durant gets the ball, he goes to work and rightfully so, but, but that's not Steve Kerr's system. And so you end up with half the team's possessions 
just going into Durant's hands. And so you get away from the, the flow, the flow, free flowing movement offense, the read and react, the give the ball up and get it back because it's like, give the ball to Durant and clear out. And sure. Um, in the postseason and in the finals, you need that type of offense and production to score. But we also just saw what the Warriors did without him this past season um, against some pretty good teams. And especially when you've got all these young guys that you're trying to teach to play the right game. Um, I think you're better off in, in Steve Kerr's system where it's predicated on defense first, having one of the, one of the better proven wing and guard defenders in the league be your fourth option on offense, third, third, fourth option, um, than getting one of the best scorers of all time. Who's at the tail end of his career. But again, that's just more looking at the fit of those two players and less about the realities of, well, Wiggins is going to walk. So let's get something in return. Um, then let him walk for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, and I, I would, think... I'd be more on the Kevin Durant train if he had played more consistently, like year one Durant to the warriors. Durant is like the best defense I ever seen him play. He's like a rim rim elite rim blocker playing on both sides. And then year two, year three, he was too inconsistent. There's too many possessions where he kind of just gave up. Um, he went for cheap little fouls. Um, you know, obviously his performance against uh, Boston getting swept 4 0 wasn't very inspiring. I mean, granted that Brooklyn You're team talking was... about on the nets, this, yeah. This yeah. Yeah. You just mostly, feel like, yeah. you know, if that, if that's really Durant, he couldn't will his team to one win. Um, and sure, that was a really good Boston team, obviously, that went to the NBA Finals to lose to the Warriors. But, um, you know, at age 34, how much does Durant have left in the tank? And wherever he goes, is he is he really locked in and all committed? Because that was supposed to be Brooklyn, right? He wants to leave the Warriors to go play somewhere else and win and win on his own. And that hasn't happened yet. Um, yeah, I... I'm not worried about his age. I'm not worried about his ability to lock in and provide elite value in the playoffs based off of that one series. I mean, the guy averaged, you know, 37 and six on 51, 38, 91 shooting this past season, getting the line seven times a game. He's still great. He's still elite. He's still probably a, a top five, if not top five, top seven player in the league um and even with a decline from there i think over you know over the course of this contract that you know i think he'll provide significantly more value than andrew wiggins that being said i think kevin durant on the warriors you know he raises the ceiling uh for that team you know, significantly, I think he raises the median outcome for that team significantly, but he lowers the floor to absolutely like rock bottom because Kevin Durant has, he just blew up a, a basketball team that he essentially created, not only in terms of the chemistry on the court, but he, he blew up a ton of really valuable basketball assets, right? Uh, you know, forced the coaching staff to, bench Jared Allen and pay DeAndre Jordan, then trade Jared Allen away for, for you know, James Harden in a, in a package that included a bunch of future assets. Uh, and then, 
you know, made no effort to keep James Harden there uh, once he became unhappy and now is essentially uh, so upset that that same front office didn't pay Kyrie Irving that he's demanding a trade out of there and, and leaving Brooklyn in potentially a way worse situation than they were before they signed him. Um, and, you know, they had that sort of plucky D'Angelo Russell, you know, uh, uh, low seed playoff team. So, of course, they're, like that, bringing that potential into the Warriors locker room, uh, which is, you know, probably has the best chemistry of, of any locker room in the NBA, especially right now, uh, is, you know, there's, there's a way that that ends up really, really blowing up this team in a, in a way that is irreparable, right? Especially when you think about the personalities of, of Draymond Green and, and the competitiveness of Clay Thompson and, and the way that those egos could interact with, with Kevin Durant coming back a second time. Yeah, and I think it also depends what the specifics of the trade look like as well, because if it's literally Wiggins plus three young guys and we only get Durant back and the money works out, now that we've got like eight guys on the roster. Right, right. So then then we're so worried about spending money, you know, quote unquote, or going over the tax. And now you got to go fill out four or five vet minimum deals or or go go find somebody to play because somebody's got to play off the bench. Um, Right. And And is that team better? Yeah, those veteran minimums, you know, a lot of the times they look a lot better on paper than they end up on the court. Uh, we saw that with the Lakers, you know, the past couple of years, filling out the roster with, you know, future Hall of Famers who are uh, not able to contribute to playoff basketball. Currently. And again, I th- and if I think that was actually in the works, they would have retained Lee and JTA, who then would have been perfect because you've got guys who have been in the system two, three years, hardworking, come off the bench, get paid the minimum and, and play really hard. And that fits perfectly around Durant. Um so yeah 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 so so those lot, losses, a lot of risks yeah it's a lot it, of asterisks and risks to get you know one of the like you said top top seven best players in the league um but i don't think they're i don't think that they're potentially have a higher ceiling because i don't know what that defense looks like if you give away that many pieces and especially losing andrew wiggins and yeah. not being able to keep gary payton i i am so impressed even even going back and watching Wiggins tape uh, in preparation for this conversation. So impressed with Draymond Green's help defense. There's so you know there are a lot of possessions uh, just in the in the sort of um, clips that I was watching where yeah Wig, you know Wiggins did his job. But if you're talking about doing your job on you know Luka Doncic or you know John Morant, these these just explosive um, offensive engines. You, no one person is going to stop those guys, right? You can make yeah. it a little bit more difficult. And and the way Draymond Green, even at his age, even at his athletic ability now, was able to impact those defensive possessions and, and turn disadvantages into advantages, I, I feel like he is going to age better than I thought he was going to age. Um, you know, even even without the, the burst that he had, um, you know, several years ago, I, you know, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that 
even with a downgrade at the at the wing defense spot, I wouldn't count out a Draymond Green uh, center defense from from being elite. That's fair. You know, I love me some some Draymond Green, always and forever. I I thought what was most impressive about him was how much he struggled in the finals against the Celtics and his ability to adjust, his ability to Steve Kerr's um, benching him in, in that big game four uh, for Kevon Looney and, and Green being able to accept that and then coming out throughout the rest of the series and kind of taking it upon himself to improve um, and make the adjustments. So I felt like that was big for him. Um and yeah, I think, you know, Draymond, Be- Draymond Green continues to be one of the most underrated defenders in the league. Yeah, I mean, he was, I think he was the the front runner for defensive player of the year before he went down with injury this season, right? Um, and then the whole sort of Celtics narrative, because they had such a strong second half, I think, became the overwhelming, and and, you know, I don't know if we need to talk about the Marcus Smart defensive play of the year or not. I, I don't know. <laughs> it, I think I think the Celtics losing in the finals and Marcus Smart's performance defensively kind of speaks for itself on its own. Yeah, it's it it's not his fault. I think he's a right. I think he's a top ten defender in the league, right? And and I hope that this DPOY for him doesn't end up being uh, you know just a, a talking point for his detractors, um, yeah. you know, because he, he really is, he's elite. There's, I mean, there are antics that are outside of the defense that he plays that, you know, make, I'm not a fan of Marcus Smart as a, as a basketball fan, but <laughs> he is, he is an elite perimeter defender. Yeah. Um, so are we kind we, of in agreement that we think that the Durant trade isn't going to go down? No, I think there's no way that it really happens given all of the all of the sort of surrounding factors right uh, outside right. of what happens on a basketball court with Kevin Durant on the Warriors but um, just for for good business you don't want to let your asset walk for nothing so if you're planning yeah. to let him walk for nothing you'd rather try and trade him and get something in return than just sit on it and let it expire and it gets a lot more complicated if you know you know, tomorrow afternoon we get reports that Kevin Durant wants to go to Golden State, right? Then, then it becomes a real decision point. Before that happens, it's you know we're talking about nothing. Yeah. Um, but if if that were to happen, then okay, now you have to really consider uh, a bought-in Kevin Durant, right? You know, if you can get buy-in from. The rest of the go- the the guys on that roster um, is it you know and and then I you know I feel like we should talk about the trajectories of Kuminga, Wiseman, and Moody um, based on their uh, their summer league performances. Have you been Have you been watching summer league? Yep, you read my mind. That's exactly where I wanted to go next year. Um, yeah, summer league. We're not trading for Durant, so now we got all these young players. Yeah, um, and they look good. Moses Moody, to me, has stood out the most, being the most ready to just step into a role, whatever it is, in this next season. Um, on July eighth, he had thirty-four points against the Knicks. Um, he had 
another game where he scored in the upper 20s and then that's all he played in summer league two games he got a little banged up so the warriors kind of held him out but um in those two games 27 and a half points seven of 16 from the field uh two and a half threes uh, averaging 11 11 free throw makes um just absolutely all over the place moody just really looks locked in and not doing just one thing. He's not just a catch and shoot shooter. He does a little bit of everything in his game. Uh, so he's looking really polished. Um, Jonathan Kaminga, he's um, kind of been the tale of two different players in the California classic. He really struggled. He didn't look so good, but in Las Vegas, he's been playing a lot better. Um, kind of a high volume shooter as you kind of expect for a guy who's the number seven pick that kind of feels like he's trying to prove something in summer league um taking like 17 shots a game shooting just 40 percent but um scoring almost 20 points he had a game with 28 points against the spurs and another game with 29 points against boston so he's taking a lot more jumpers because teams are kind of uh, realizing the scouting report on him is not letting him get to the rim um, or get to the paint where he's just bodying through people and rising to the rim. Um, and so when his shot's not falling, he struggles, but he's been playing through it and looking pretty consistent. The free throw shooting has been suspect a little bit. <laughs> he's shooting uh, 47% in the summer league on uh, eight and a half attempts. One game he had, like, he was six for 16. So you love the attempts, but you just got to be a little bit more consistent from the foul line. And then obviously, most importantly, James Wiseman, who debuted on July 10th against the Spurs, looked really good in that first game. Um, I'm sure everybody's been talking about his, his debut initial sequence, like the first three minutes of the game. Kaminga throws him an alley-oop dunk. That was incredible. Then he comes back on that defensive possession and blocks a shot. Tried to take it um, coast to coast himself on the break and ended up turning it over. But then I think they got the they got the ball back and he lines up and hits an above the break three. So you just in a nutshell see everything that Wiseman has oozing potential, um, being able to be an above the rim defender and finisher. Uh, as well as being able to step out and shoot the three. Wiseman looks like he's got his confidence back. He looks more like the player that played um, those first few games as a rookie that just got everyone super hyped before he really kind of fell off a cliff and was being exposed offensively and defensively and got really frustrated with himself and then experienced all those um, injuries and setbacks during recovery. So um, I've been really impressed with Wiseman. He's shown that all that time off has given him some the game slowed down for him a little bit he understands x's and o's a little bit more he still seems a little bit more comfortable shooting a jump shot than he does kind of power moves in the paint a couple times i've seen him come up with the ball in the paint and he would rather kind of do a fadeaway shot or kind of just settle for the for like the five footer jumper instead of kind of like a, a power move to the get right to the rim yeah, he's got a little DeAndre Ayton to his to his offensive game there. But I think in the end, you know, the shot looks good. He hits a lot of jumpers efficiently. So I don't have a problem with that. We just like to see him kind of continue to grow and improve and, and bulk up and get stronger to do both, right? Because the pick and pop game is important for the Warriors, but also having 
a guy who knows that sometimes you just need to bully your way to the hoop, um, which he has done a few times as well. I saw him a few times get offensive rebounds and go back up strong and quick. So I've been really impressed with James Wiseman for a guy, a kid who's still incredibly young, incredibly inexperienced, um, dealing with so much adversity, but obviously still has a long way to go before you slot him into a starting role and playing whatever 25 to 30 minutes a night. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a lot of trouble projecting much based on the, on the Warriors summer league more so than, than I do for other teams, mainly because it's impossible to replicate what Steph Curry does in an offense. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you, you have these possessions where, you know, Kuminga is, is, you know, taking essentially dribbling, initiating the offense, you know, will come down, have a screen set for him or, or take his man off the dribble, you know, maybe get walled up, you know, turn around and, and, and take a mid ranger. And it's just never going to happen in, in, in Kerr's offense, right? right. None, none of those <laughs> things will ever happen in Kerr's offense. So, you know, maybe he makes it, maybe he doesn't, but it's, it's well, Kaminga very... being initiator could actually very well be the future because like we saw, I think the key and we'll get, this is just a quick tangent real quick. I think the key for Steve Kerr is he doesn't want his point guard being the initiator of the offense. And that's where Draymond Green really keys in where Draymond Green's operating at the top of the key with the ball. And you've got your guard, Stephanie Clay, um, off the ball in motion, pool in there sometimes too. And so if Jonathan Kaminga is kind of that future replacement Draymond Green, I do think there is a future down the road where Kaminga is initiating the offense and Jordan Poole's running off screens. Yeah, anyways. yeah. And, and, and you see them trying to empower Kaminga in that way. And, and the glimpses that I did see that, that might be replicable in the, in the regular season were in sort of semi-transition, right? You have yeah. you have the defense not fully set, and then Kuminga can really take a half step and turn that into a major advantage. And, and you know, in summer league, he's just dunking on everybody. Uh, in in the in the regular season, you know, you you'll have NBA level rim protectors there, so maybe you know those turn into passes or, or things like that. Um, but yeah, he's I mean he's he's a really exciting guy to watch especially in the summer league context where there are so many guys that he can just physically overpower um you know the tools the tools are there uh it, it's it's a matter of okay how much can he put together in terms of the the, the snap decision making you know on defense you know is he going to be able to uh to rotate and 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 rotate again and without without uh you know lapses um, but you know, like I mentioned before, I'm, I'm most interested in, in Moody for this upcoming season, right? I, I think there, he's shown some flashes, not just of the, of the perimeter shot making, but also just playmaking, right? He's got, he has a nice connection with Kaminga already in terms of, um, finding Kaminga on cuts, but then Moody's a great cutter, right? He's, yep. he's finding ways to get to the rim and, you know, he seems like he's a, He's a little guy, but once he gets below the rim, he's got these pump fakes, he's got these like pivots, and and he's able to draw contact in a way that that is 
is not just taking advantage of of these you know summer league guys who are never going to play in the NBA, but I you know I I think I think he's going to be able to do that um, against NBA players as well. So that's that's where I think even though they'll do it in different ways, he can he can absorb some of that Gary Payton um, role in the offense where he's cutting, he's baseline, right? Where where Gary Payton would rise up and dunk it. Moody can pump fake it, maybe draw a foul, but still finish, things like that. And that's where I think you don't give GP2 the three-year deal. You know, two years, yeah. okay, but, you know, you're going to have GP2 on the roster till 34, and, and he's essentially taking the slot that Moody, you know, kind of Moody Kaminga would play. Because, you know, GP2 is listed as a point guard, but he's playing the three or the four or sometimes yeah. even the five um, defensively. The, yeah. the other interesting thing for the Warriors is they drafted three players and only one of them was available so far through the classic in the summer league. And that's Gui Santos, who's the being called the Brazilian Luca who right now um, would need to get bought out of his deal with the Brazilian team to be able to play for the Warriors. So he seems like a draft and stash. Um, and then the other two guys, Ryan Rawlings and uh, PB and J is his nickname, Patrick Baldwin jr. They're both injured. Um, Rollins, I think got injured after we drafted him, but it's not expected to be serious. And then Baldwin, Baldwin Jr. Just kind of looks like a Kevon Looney to me, a guy who had a ton of upside heading, you know, in high school, entering college as like a top, you know, kind of a lottery pick top 10 guy. And then injuries, you know, ends up falling to like a late first rounder, but kind of similar situation as Kevon Looney. And uh, we're seeing the benefits of that. So Warriors deciding to double down on the late round injured, late first round injured draft picks to see what they can turn into and what they might provide. Um, but where I'm kind of getting at is only 11 guys on the roster with Baldwin Jr. being one of the 11. Uh, Lester Quinones, who was undrafted, Warriors signed him to a two-way deal. He's more known as a shooter in Memphis last year. He shot 40% from three. He played off the bench. He played about 20 minutes a game. So it'll be interesting to see what type of role or opportunity. He kind of reminds me of a Michael Mulder a little bit. Um, and then the Warriors are still evaluating and figuring out what they're going to do and fill these roster spots. You have a Quindary Weatherspoon who played with the Warriors last year on a two-way deal. He has not yet been signed to a two-way deal. So it remains to be unseen if the Warriors will sign him to a vet minimum or to like a minimum contract, if they'll put him on Santa Cruz. Uh, you've got Mac McLung, who the Warriors snagged from the Lakers, uh, who's been really interesting as an, as an additional ball handler. Um, Justinian Jessup, who was the draft and stash player for the Warriors from a few years ago. Um, so you got to you gotta get a few more guys. I think the Warriors will leave the 15th roster spot open, but you're looking at three more guys that need to be signed to get you to 14. And so Summer League's been interesting because you are giving Kaminga and Wiseman and Moody opportunity, but then, you know, Wiseman's only been averaging 20 minutes a night as they slowly ramp him up. Kaminga's only been playing... Uh, a shade under 26 minutes a night moody and his two games played 30 plus um so you're giving guys a lot of opportunities so it's hard to kind of see like like for example the warriors are one in three in summer league they're like the 29th worst team out of the 30 teams you could kind of be like oh man you've got all these young players that are going into their second year you'd think that they'd be dominating 
Um, and it's fine. You know, I don't think the Warriors are really playing, you know, obviously they want to win games and be successful for their young guys in summer league, but they're not really playing those games to win per se. They're at least not giving guys minutes to try and win the games, to win, to win the summer league tournament. Um, so I don't really take that, you know, I kind of take that with a grain of salt there. Uh, but it yeah. is going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks or, or a month or so as we head into training camp, like who are they going to fill out this roster with? Um, and what do they do with all these young guys? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I, I'm, I do wonder if it's going to be a bunch of, you know, uh, kind of ring chasing veterans, um, that, that they get in those in those last slots or, or if it'll be young guys with respect to the um, the the summer league record point I mean I'm a Kings fan and up until this summer league we were I believe the Kings were back-to-back summer league champions right and, <laughs> you know this is maybe the 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 highest level accolade the Sacramento Kings have currently um and watching those summer league games, clearly the there was a, a real focus on trying to win, trying to win the game, and even even this summer league, right? Uh, and and there are some young guys on on the Kings roster, Keon Ellis, uh, Keegan Murray, um, who were featured, but you get a lot of a lot of usage out of you know a Frankie Ferrari, right? Just just uh, just guards uh guys who can handle the ball who are never going to play in the nba right but you know in terms of a, a summer league game provide the sort of steady decision making that can help you win um and you know there's some value in uh in having good possessions in the summer league but that's not the point of the summer league. the point of the summer league is to is for you know these guys to develop skills to show things that you know maybe they can use in the regular season. And, you know, if you win the game, great. If you don't win, you know, fine. Uh, I, I think the, the track record of player development, uh, you know, in, in, in the Golden State Warriors organization sort of speaks, speaks for itself. So I, I would not be at all concerned about, about losing a bunch of summer league games, even, even when the young guys are playing a lot. Yeah. If I remember correctly, going back to the, the first year they won, um, it, not the the first championship, but the first of the dynasty in, in 14-15, the Warriors won the Summer League tournament and won all their preseason games. Mm. So there, I think there is something to be seen when you're trying to do a culture shift to come out there and set the tone early. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's it's better to win than to lose, for sure. Uh, yeah, but... and, you get, and you guys took Mike Brown and Barbosa from us, so... Well, yeah, we'll we'll see how it works out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but but I I didn't speak at all to Wiseman. Uh, yes, I I only have a couple thoughts on Wiseman. It he's he, he has all of the tools, right? He's he's similar to to Kaminga. Um, he's such uh, a an explosive sprinter, right? Whenever you see him. Uh, change ends of the court you know with real hustle he's just outrunning everybody else right with these just loping strides you can you could sort of imagine him 
in just a in a rim running role, um, providing the kind of uh, transition threat of sort of sort of what like Obi Toppin uh, has given the the Knicks second unit, right? Um, and and just that in combination, his, his screens are um, really physical. Actually, I, I that wasn't something that I was expecting having having seen him play just in his rookie season where it was a lot of just slipping the screens and, and not a ton of physicality. I think he's gotten a lot of offensive fouls in summer league on, on illegal screens where he's really trying to put his body into, uh, into the uh, defender. And that to me, it's like you, you combine those two things. He can, he can play that JaVale McGee role without having to, improve all that much uh from from the skills he's already showed and then you know if he's able to sort of expand it from there you know great if he's if he's hitting mid-range jumpers or you know threes off the catch or you know taking a an escape dribble fantastic but as of right now the, the warriors don't need that the warriors don't need uh a center to create a bunch of his own offense um all they all they really need out of him is, is, you know, give him those backup 24 minutes, 20 minutes a game, let him set solid screens, roll hard to the rim, rebound, right. Work on his defensive awareness. And I, I feel like he can do those things that he's, and, and, and then from there, the sky's really the limit. Um, but he's in a great situation to, to achieve a, le- a level of success and really build up his confidence while he's developing that sort of next level player yeah 100 percent. yeah we just need an above the rim defender finisher grab some rebounds set some hard screens don't get out of position on every single pick and roll um and then just build it build it up from there yeah you can see that he wants to get a rebound and handle it himself and go coast to coast right they, they don't, they need gotta, to, don't need to do any of that yeah, even though he's shown that he has, you know, Kevin Durant-esque gracefulness to do that, you know, as he as he gets better. But give the ball up. You don't need to do that for now. Um, and also, I think, you know, before last season, Kavon Looney was kind of viewed as this incredible piece but can't stay healthy, so limit his minutes. And we saw him, you know, play in every single regular season and playoff game. Um, and even play up into the 30 minutes. So yeah, you're in, you're in a low, you're in a lower role because Looney's the man um, and that's not going to change. And so I think eventually you'd like Wiseman to be able to surpass Looney and earn that starting, that starting role. Um, and if that happens this season, I think that would be incredible because that will just speak to how far along Wiseman has come and Wiseman and Looney, Looney give you completely different things when each one of them is on the floor um, but just keep it simple, you know, and, and stay healthy and get your reps in. Yeah. That I'm, I'm actually really intrigued. I, I hope the Warriors use one of these empty roster spots on a, on a veteran center who can take a little bit of the pressure off of both Looney and Wiseman, right? Looney in terms of having to play every game. Um, yeah, I and, don't see it. I think they'll go ball handler. Really? You think you yeah. think they'll just they'll go into the season with, 
with just I guess they did, they guess, did it last season. You got Draymond at the five, so when are you going to use him? Do you, do right. you really, you really maybe on a two way? If there's another young big like, or maybe like a um, Marquise Chris, for example, just somebody like reliable who could be like on a two way, but otherwise. It's it's Draymond, it's Looney, it's Wiseman. That's those are your three bigs. Yeah, I I don't know. There's there are some centers in the league where it it just seems like it would be nice to have a body just to throw out there so that Kavon Looney in November isn't just getting, you know, put into the charge circle by a, a Joel and B drop step you know, for 30 minutes a game. Yeah. But, how many, you only play, you only play Philly twice a year. You yeah. know, Minnesota is going to be a problem, but the Warriors will counter that playing small. And how are, how is Minnesota going to defend that? Yeah. Yeah. I hear yeah, you. And, I don't disagree and, with that argument. A lot of people come on the show and they're like, I would really like to see the Warriors get another big. And it's like, yes, I would too. But Steve Kerr doesn't like the traditional, DeAndre Jordan, big body esque type build player that I feel like you get, you kind of waste that roster slot. And I think they'd like somebody with a little bit more upside or somebody who can kind of be developed um, or another shooter, just a different, they'd like to use that roster spot differently than just fill in the blank big man as emergency depth. Yeah. And I actually, I do like the idea of Kuminga in that role in, in sort of limited minutes and, and the, his ability to, to finish even oversize. And then he's got, he's so big that, you know, if, if we're talking about defending a, a, a big guy, right. He can, he can put a body on, he can, he can rebound um, with his size. As yeah. Well. You could so, have Dray- you could have Draymond and Kaminga be the four and five and, and green guards, the five and Kaminga plays the five. Offense. Yeah, yeah, that word. Yeah, so so yeah, I, I I can see it. I, you know, w- when I look at Wiseman and what does he play? Thirty nine games in in two years, something like that. Um, three years. <laughs> yeah, in three. Right. This will be and, this will be your. Well, sorry, this will be year three. No. Right, but and, and then if you go back to college, right, he only played a couple games as well. Um, yeah. Just, just anything that can that can kind of release a little bit of the pressure on on him, I feel like is is a benefit to the Warriors because he's you know number two overall pick. I've again like I have a lot of baggage coming into this. You know, as a Kings fan, Marvin Bagley, right, oh, came yeah. to the number <laughs> oh, two boy. overall pick, right. You know, the guy who went three was a dynamic, uh, you know, offensive force and uh you know sky high pressure on him injuries uh you know immediately and 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 missed a bunch of time wasn't able to gel um with his teammates and then eventually you know gets shipped off to another team for for basically nothing and who knows if he'll ever fulfill you know his his real potential because he wasn't ever really put in a position to succeed and and so yeah for Wiseman, you know, I, I just feel for the guy. I think he's, I think he has potentially a really bright future, but it's going to Well, Wiseman wasn't put in a position to succeed either. Um, I did a pod earlier this season 
uh, with another guest and we kind of got into that, that um, Steve Kerr came out and said, this guy's not going to start because he knew he wasn't ready. And then the front office didn't, you know, gave him this ragtag team to play with. So Kerr's like, fine, I'm going to, I'm going to start him now and show you how raw and unready he is. And so he did. And that's why he looks so bad because it was Steve Kerr making a point to management about this kid's not ready. (laughs) What do you expect me to do with this team? Um, and we're not, you know, and we're not going to try, I'm not going to try and win games because I'm not going to waste Steph Curry's tank to, to, with this team that isn't, you know, anywhere near to being a playoff team. What's funny about Bagley is he got, he got twice as much money as Looney did from Detroit. Uh, he, he's like some crazy list that I saw. He's like nine, he's like 10th highest paid of free agents, um, from this off season. And you got like a. 37 million three-year deal or something like that. Yeah, that Detroit front office has been enamored with Bagley for a while. And I I don't know why. I I've watched virtually every minute of every Bagley possession until he got traded to the to Detroit. He's you know, he's an NBA player. Um, he is it's not clear what position he can guard in the league. Um, and offensively, the shooting just hasn't, it hasn't been there. So it's a, it's an upside, right? It's a, it's a future facing contract for them is all I can really make yeah. that, uh, is that they, they see um, some, some real untapped potential on him, especially defensively. Um, last thing before we sign off here I want to get your takes on DiVincenzo you know having played for the Kings only you know last couple months of the season as he was getting back from injury so I want to get your thoughts on DiVincenzo and what he can bring to the Warriors yeah so so DiVincenzo had a weird tenure with the Kings not only because if you remember he was he was going to be part of that um, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich um, sign and trade from a couple off seasons ago that got blown up because of tampering, right? It got announced, you know, several days before it was legal for it to happen. And then, um, you know, there's all kinds of fallout. One, one piece of which was uh, he ended up going to Atlanta instead of Milwaukee uh, and Milwaukee ended up keeping DiVincenzo. So, so um, the Kings management, has been had been looking to sign or, or to acquire DiVincenzo for a while. Finally got him this past season. He was coming off of injury. And there's also, I believe, uh, in his contract, there was a threshold number of games started that if he hit that number of games, uh, he would, his qualifying offer went up significantly. And so, the Kings traded for him, and then at the end of the season, um, it's kind of a soft tank going on, you know, resting uh, Sabonis and, and Fox. So Davion Mitchell is, is running the point. But they don't want to start DiVincenzo because if they do, he's going to hit this threshold and then the qualifying offer goes up. Um, and so he's coming off of the bench in these just really bad lineups. Um, and this Kings roster is in many ways, right, especially without Fox and Sabonis, but even with them to some extent, the opposite of what's going on with the Warriors it, insofar as there's no shooting, 
right? Um, I think there's Justin Holiday, but you know the Kings had traded away two of the best three shooters in, in Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. Um, Harrison Barnes was still playing, and so you know there's there's a little bit of floor spacing from him, but really there was virtually no offensive creation. It was really you know it's Davion Mitchell trying to get things done off the dribble, and you know he's fine, uh, but in the NBA he's he's not a he, he, he was not a, a plus offensive generator um, last season. And then you have DiVincenzo, who's playing for his next contract, coming off of injury, and then, you know, creating offense out of these bench units. Um, and he struggled. He struggled uh, at, the, at the sort of fringes of, of his game, right, where, you know, you're having him run a pick and roll, you're having him generate offense you know out of a live dribble he was really good uh as a as a catch and shoot guy though um uh so i, I believe he shot over 40 percent on on catch and shoot threes even though he was in either the low 30s or or, or below 30 percent um overall and as a as a sort of pump and go guy as well, he has a lot of he has a lot of juice and, and is a really good decision maker. Once he's got an advantage, once he's got the the uh, the defense in rotation, so those aspects of his game, I think, are gonna they're gonna be great in in uh, Steve Kerr's offense, right? He's gonna be able to make good decisions in a similar way to what he you know what he was um, on the Bucks before he got injured, um, and then defensively. You know, he's he's got huge shoes to fill, right? Gary Payton's, you know, top five perimeter defender in the NBA. Dante DiVincenzo is not a top five perimeter defender in the NBA. He's good. He can defend his position, right? Guys similar sized and smaller. He's got quick feet. He's got good lateral quickness. Um, he's got good hands on defense and, and can anticipate passing lanes. But he will get overpowered by the, by, by, guys with more bulk um you know he can he can have some some mental lapses off ball um and and he's not he's not nearly as as sort of consistent and locked in as, as gp is there but he's 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 a plus on that end as well so he's i would say he's a he's a significant downgrade from gp in terms of on ball defensive of uh most wings some wings you know if if, if he's the guy who has to put a body in front of John Morant, he's going to give you great effort um, on that and, you know, until the help comes, right? But he's not going to stop John Morant. He's not going to stop any of these guys. Um, and then offensively, you know, good spot of shooting, good decision making. I think, you know, reading uh, some of the quotes from after he uh, signed with the Warriors because it was expected that he would come back to the Kings. Kings sort of pivoted and and ended up with the opportunity to sign Malik Monk, which I think they they jumped at and then trade for Kevin Herter. And so there wasn't really room uh, to to bring DiVincenzo back in the lineup. Um, but it sounded like DiVincenzo had other offers uh, outside of the Warriors for, for potentially more money and decided to go to the Warriors because of the opportunity uh, to play within that offense. And I, I think that bodes well. I think he made a good decision uh, in that respect because it's going to highlight his strengths and, and really um, prevent him from having to, 
you know, dip into areas of his game that are that are a little bit weaker right now. Yeah, I think kind of a no-brainer decision for him, play with the reigning champs, a chance to win another ring, two-year, two-year deal, nine million dollars, second year is a player option. So similar to the auto porter opportunity, you know, but he's gonna he's playing in the MLE slot, four and a half mil to come off the bench, be a solid rotation player, show the league what you've got. And then if he succeeds and is successful, opt out and go sign a better deal somewhere else as, as a featured, you know, starter when you prove that that's, you know, the role that you're, that you're capable of. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully it works out for, for DiVincenzo and for the, for the Warriors. I think it will. I think he's in a perfect spot. I like the, the perimeter, perimeter shooting, playmaking, you know, it'll be a defense by committee approach, but nice that he is at least not a net negative on that side of the floor. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, cool, man. I really appreciate having you on today. Um, a lot of stuff that we dove into here, and uh, we got the final day of summer league today. Um, games won't count for much for teams that aren't competing in the championship, but just another opportunity to kind of evaluate talent and uh, will be an interesting um, part of the off season as we uh, wait for training camp to start and kind of see where the rest of these free agents end up as teams kind of uh, start to get ready to finish putting their rosters together. Yep. Yep. Exciting day uh, for those summer league guys. I'm rooting for, Keon Johnson to, to show out for the trailblazers. <laughs> All right, Asa, you take care. You have a great All right. Thanks, day. Sam. Had a great time. Uh, you know, come back anytime you want. Awesome. Love right. to have you back. Hey guys, quickly, before we sign off, we just want to remind you that there is no such thing as an off season when it comes to fantasy, only the pre-draft season. And here at sports ethos, the pre-draft season's already underway. Our experts are out here putting out important lessons learned and draft analysis on this incoming rookie class so that you, the listener, can get ahead on your prep. And we're going to have incredible free agency and summer league coverage as well, but only if you're a part of our premium membership team. So head to sportsethos.com now, click on the premium tab, and grab your fantasy pass today. Seriously, it's only $5.99, so you got no excuses for not grabbing this deal while it lasts. And once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, Sports Ethos presentation. If you haven't already, I would appreciate it if you give me a follow over at Twitter. That's at S-D-O-R-L-I-K. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Appreciate you guys, all you listeners out there. Let's go Dub Nation, and we'll catch you on the next one.